0: Hey, I'm Dustin Wentz. This is Freddie Williams.
1: This is Ian Sattler, Senior Story Editor at DCU. Hi, this is Lindsay DeFlippis. And Christina Lear. Hi, this is Kevin Vander. Hi, this is Libra Mayo. Hi, this is Brian Ezrello.
2: Hi, this is Matt Wagner, author of Batman and the Monster Man and Batman and the Mad Monk. Hey, this is Mike Martz, Batman Group Editor.
0: Hey, this is Ethan Van Skybro.
2: My name is Neil Adams.
0: This is Paul Dini.
2: This is Robert Greenberger. This is Jerry Robinson. Hey, this is uh, Will Percoccio. This is Adam Beechin, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast episode number 69. I'm your host, Dustin, and today we have with us... This is Donovan.
1: And this is Joe.
2: We are covering all the comic news and the comic books that uh, were released from May 22nd through June 4th. And there's a little bit of stuff on the horizon, we'll get to that in one quick second. But uh, hopefully you're checking out the uh, comic podcast either through the new website, listening to it on the site, or on iTunes as the feeds are all up. So hopefully you're happy about that. But we do have four books to cover that came out in the past two weeks, as well as uh, not a ton of news, but uh, some news... And uh, we are going to have a discussion about Flashpoint a little later after BBFB with Nick. So let's get right into comic news. So the first thing we need to address is there's a lot of things going on with the DC Universe. Uh, We'll get to it in a minute about how uh, DC is actually renumbering a lot of their books We are recording this on June 5th. Now, we have been made aware by a number of different sources that tomorrow, June 6th, a lot of the information is going to be released by DC for the Bat Books. Now, you may be asking yourself, why wouldn't we record this after the announcement so we can talk all about it? Well, there's two reasons. One, we wanted to have a discussion about Flashpoint, which we have actually been wanting to do for a couple episodes now. And Flashpoint isn't an event that's going to last an entire years it's going to wrap the end of August, so we wanted to have a discussion about that, especially with reviewing the very first issue of Flashpoint Batman Night of Vengeance in this podcast. In addition to that, this announcement about DC renumbering and kind of restarting and relaunching a bunch of different things with the the entire DC Universe is something that uh, I'm sure we're going to have a lot to talk about. So before we even get any further, I just want to let everybody know that once all the announcements have been made, which we have been made aware by also a number of sources, that by June 13th, everything will be revealed and we'll know everything. Obviously, uh, every day, the source, as well as DC Comics and a number of the other agencies, are uh, releasing tons of news about the different books But by June 13th, everything should be released. So with that being said, we're actually going to have a special, which you will find in the Batman Universe specials, which is on the website and on iTunes, discussing everything having to do with DC's relaunch, as well as all the bat books that get announced, as well as other things that are happening with the relaunch that could affect the Batman Universe as well. So there's tons of stuff obviously going to be happening. And to be quite honest, I don't know that we could actually fit a discussion that big into a podcast that we try not to exceed two hours with, even with as little books as we have for this week. So look for that special on June 17th. But with that being said, we do, like I said, have an actual comic podcast to record. So let's get into some of the news we've got. The very first thing we've got is on May 24th, David Finch talked with Newsarama about ...the number of delays that uh, Batman The Dark Knight has been plagued with since the beginning of the series. So, I will read for Newsarama, and Joe will read for David Finch. David, before we start talking about what's coming in Batman The Dark Knight, let's get the schedule issue out of the way. Can you address the delays this comic has experienced?
1: Really, most of it just comes down to me. It's a lot of work writing and drawing a comic, and I found that writing the book has turned out to be more work than I expected... And that's had an impact on time, for sure. We had some issues here, too, at the house that played into that. I've been back on schedule for a bit. Unfortunately, it's not reflected in the book yet. But it will be really soon. Is the comic going to come out every couple months going forward? I'd actually like to see it come out more regularly than that. It would be nice to see it coming out on a proper schedule. And that's something we're shooting for now. And it's something I'm capable of doing. The writing's getting more comfortable... And I sat down with editorial, and we really took the time to hammer down exactly what the story is, going into the future for quite a while. This book is so important to me, and that's been a factor, you know? I want it to be done right. I'm glad we've worked it out as tightly as it is now. It started out tight, but I lost that. Changes are made, and those course changes down the line. But I have a much better idea of what to expect when I sit down to draw a book now, and what I'm going to get out of the script when I write So just to clarify, issue number three is solicited for June 22nd. Is that definitely finished? Issue three is finished, so that should be a firm date.
2: DCE has announced that JFibic is helping you out with penciling on issues four and five. Is that going
1: to be happening as an ongoing basis? No, not ongoing. He's just helping me out temporarily. I'm hoping he's going to be doing more with DC coming up, and he's doing some stuff for Aspen right now.
2: Since you said you've sat down with Editorial nailed down what will
1: be happening in the comic long term, can you tell fans anything about what's coming up? As people have seen in solicitations, Ragman plays a role coming up, but it's a little different, because he's possessed. The thing about Ragman is that he has the ability to incorporate souls into his suit, and that also gives him a real vulnerability. And he has his power reversed on him, and he's trapped inside his own suit, and is really being controlled by one of the souls that has taken him over. Early on, I touched on Venom, and that Croc is addicted to Venom, and that's something that I'm really emphasising going forward. We've got another story thread where James Gordon is having a little trouble, or a lot of trouble, with a new guy at work. As things go forward, he plays a pretty major role in creating a lot of problems for Gordon. And it all leads into a major villain coming up very, very soon, who's been in the background since issue one, and it has a lot to do with Venom on the streets. Also coming up, you'll see me drawing Arkham Asylum, because Addicts of Venom end up there, and Batman ends up having to go there because of writing. There are some great visuals, and there are lots of villains who are off the street right now, and I can take advantage of it for a while before we have to put them back in their cells. I think that's what I'm most excited about, is drawing Arkham Asylum.
2: Okay, so that's the end of that interview. What's, What's interesting to me is... Obviously, this interview was released before the announcement that DC was going to be renumbering and uh, relaunching a number of series. And I guess one of the things I have to wonder is, will they be relaunching Batman the Dark Knight? And if so, even if issue five comes out in August, as they have solicited as of now, how, how can they really relaunch a series that has only had five issues? And honestly, how can he even wrap the story that he's been telling in order to do a relaunch story?
0: that's the question of the day i i mean this this is actually one of those things that i find really hard to believe is happening but the idea of a two to five issue series an ongoing series being relaunched is insane to me especially the fact that i don't know like like who's to say that the same problems won't occur because he says you know oh i'll definitely be doing this 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 other artist will not be on, on an ongoing basis you know I mean, and he says that he didn't expect the the double work that was to write and draw it. I mean, who's to say that's that's a guarantee? I don't really have too many hopes that this is going to be a flawless book as they will, as they kind of want. I see I see this as a big uh, as a big Superman Batman slash um, Batman Ink scenario where every issue is like delayed every now and then, and I I don't I don't know how this 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 title is going to turn out really. I I really am kind of clueless.
1: I've described this before as the new All Star Batman and Robin, which is weird because that's still going on, but. <laughs> it's it's so delayed and if DC because yeah we're not sure if they're renumbering everything so this, if they do this might end up going into a mini series or something like that but because I think the big selling point of this is for um, fans of the films because we've all commented on how there's so much fan fiction in them and, and lots of references to the films and now it seems that we might be getting Bane in it with all these Things about Venom, so I, I think I still think it's interesting how um, we still haven't got a solicited issue for. which uh, I don't know what's happening with that.
2: Yeah, yeah. at this point, I, I would be I would say it's safe to assume that it's coming out sometime in July, even though DC hasn't actually updated their site stating that it comes out. We do know that issue three, as he said in the interview, is scheduled for June 22nd, and then issue five is solicited for. August, so we can only assume it's coming out in July, but as of right now, who knows? It could come out in early August. At this point there's no way of knowing. Alright, so the next bit of news we have is on May twenty fifth, Comic Book Resources posts up an interview with the new writer on Superman Batman, Joshua Hale Fulkov who is going to be penning a three-issue story arc starting, obviously, this month in June. So for this interview, I will read for comic book resources, and Don will read for Joshua Hill Love. What can you tell us about your upcoming three-issue story arc in Superman Batman? I understand that your story brings Superman into Gotham City to solve a murder. I think fans of my independent comics will be pleasantly surprised. The Batman and Superman
0: that really reverberate with me are the Golden Age pulp versions of the characters and I tried my best to steer the story in that way. Rather than having Superman come to Gotham, I instead have Clark Kent, reporter, come to Gotham, and he finds himself immediately having to make decisions that Superman would never have to, especially involving his new friend, Batman, who he admires and doesn't quite understand at the same time. So you throw in a murder that very clearly points to the Dark Knight, and Clark is just about swallowed by the gray that is Gotham and Batman.
2: Does putting Clark in Gotham allow you to explore aspects of the city that you don't get in a normal Batman story?
0: Sure. The two cities have evolved in such arc representations of the characters. Gotham is the filth and the sickness of modernity, while Metropolis is the hopes and dreams of tomorrow, which is also a pretty convincing description of both characters, at least thematically. By taking Clark, who has certainly seen evil and corruption and all of those things, and placing him in a city that those are the rules, rather than the exception, you introduce some of Bruce's psyche into Clark's, and then open up a whole new world for him to face. Superman wouldn't be effective in Gotham. He's a big picture guy, and Gotham is a one at a time city. So here he is
2: forced to do one on one work. Now, the solicits say that these next three issues will take place during the early days of Superman and Batman's partnership. Does this mean it's taking place far in the past, before Dick Grayson took up the cowl? Will this be Bruce Wayne Batman? Oh, yeah, this is probably beer three or four of Batman's career.
0: Probably a tiny bit earlier than that for Superman. You know, for me, Scott Snyder was just murdering over a detective, and I couldn't even come close, so I went the other way.
2: Alright, right, so that's the end of that interview. Obviously, that story, as I mentioned earlier, kicks off with Superman Batman number 85, which is in stores June 8th. So you can check that out. Let's move into our next interview, which this one comes on May 27th. Newsarama posts up an interview with David Hine, about his recently solicited issue of Batman and Robin. So I will read for Newsrama, and Joe will read for David Hine. What can you tell us about this story's premise?
1: The story that ran in the last Batman and Detective Annuals introduced a French version of Arkham Asylum, Le Jardin Noir, or The Black Garden. In this story, a mysterious character, who resembles the Son of Man from Magritte's paintings, frees a selection of the inmates, and starts to turn Paris into a surrealist theme park. The escapees are all meta-humans with unusual abilities to warp reality and our perception of reality. I won't go into too much detail about the Son of Man character, or his motivations, because that's very much the key to the story. Batman, Robin, and Nightrunner will have to get to the bottom of who he is, and why he's turning Paris into his personalized art gallery before the body count goes ballistic.
2: It's just a one-issue story?
1: Yes. It was originally pitched as a mini-series, then a three-part arc, but it's ended up as a 20-page short story. There's not a lot of space to introduce a whole new set of characters, and also gives face time to three lead heroes. So I adopted the approach of delivering a series of sketches. The story is subtitled Scenes from a Work in Progress. It should work fine as a a short story, but it only skims the surface of the concept of the asylum and its inmates. (sighs)
2: <sighs> Le Jardin Noir is described as France equivalent to Arkham Asylum, but how is it different?
1: Gotham's Arkham Asylum is a prison. Le Jardin Noir is more of a traditional asylum. When I wrote my Arkham books, I showed Jeremiah Arkham trying to evolve the asylum into this kind of institution, where the insane are giving shelter and support, rather than just incarceration. Jeremiah turned out to be as insane as the inmates, so that didn't really work out. But I would like to explore the idea more with Desjardins Noir, to examine where the inmates' perceptions are as valid as those of the sane.
2: Who are some of the characters we'll meet in this story, and how will they challenge Batman and Robin?
1: Sister Crystal has a kind of Midas touch that turns organic material to glass. Her lover, the ID, has the ability to release uncontrolled desires that overcome civilized behavior. Skin Talker has a rare skin disease, where writing appears spontaneously on his flesh, the text of which appears to foretell the future for select individuals. Rayman has the ability to distort reality to his own design. Batman and Robin start out trying to save the citizens of Paris from these weird characters, but very soon find themselves falling victim to their metahuman powers, and they soon find themselves fighting just to survive. I hasten to add that while Robin may indeed be turned to glass, Batman doesn't actually get his eye pierced by the Eiffel Tower as depicted in Chris Burnham's cover. That's purely symbolic. And although Chris denied it, I'm convinced he was just trying to depict the worst visual pun of all time.
2: Will we see more of you in the Batman universe after this?
1: Hopefully. More from Le Jardin Noir and the man currently known as the Son of Man. It depends whether people like this issue or if it bombs. I guess it could go either way.
2: Alright, so that's the end of that interview. David Hine has had a good run on a number of different Batman stories. The one difference is it seems as if he can't be on a series for too long or be telling too long of a story because that's when it ultimately does not end up very well. When we saw him doing the Arkham Asylum miniseries, I thought that was good. And some of the other guys did too. But at the same point, looking at his work on Azrael, that was not so great and I think the idea of that was, or he was supposed to be writing it as an ongoing instead of writing it as a conclusive story, and I think that's where he sometimes doesn't really understand the difference, and he needs to have a conclusion and an ultimate goal to achieve in his stories. David Hine is one of the more frequent bat
0: writers lately that, he's not a bad writer, really, i we we just come down really bad on his stuff because we don't personally care for what he's telling the story he's telling, whether it be multiple Joker and Batman impersonators or whether it be Azrael being uh God in heaven. And like the idea of an of an of a, of a Batman and Robin traveling to another asylum is kind of cool, but I don't have a lot of confidence going in and I really don't really care to see David Hine again in the Bat Books just just because of his track record. Again, not trying to insult the man but We've, we, I, think we, I think we in the comic cast have kind of had enough of him. I hope this, is, this really is... I hope, I hope it doesn't bomb. I hope that the issue is good for him and for us, but I do want, not care to see him again in future titles.
1: I'm kind of excited for this. I think it sounds quite exciting, and the way the book puts together definitely sounds quite new and exciting. I'm also looking forward to how Sister Crystal doesn't turn her lover to glass.
2: That, that is interesting. I'm not sure if his name is ID or The Id, but at the same point, it will be interesting to see how this works because it re- was originally planned as a series and then in turn planned as a three-issue three story arc and now is going to be only in one issue. It'll s- be interesting to see how much stuff actually happens because of how much is crammed in there. Will he conclude the story or will he leave it open for the possibility of a miniseries in the future?
0: I, I hope this is sort of like a swan song Like Every every so often some writers have like That one issue where It's like a one and done, they kind of believe it on there I hope this is that for David High, at least for a little while
1: Well it says it's made of a series Of sketches, which makes it seem like It's not really It's not a flowing story, it's more you got to piece it together Which I think sounds quite interesting But it, it could go the other way And like he said, completely bomb If people don't get it
2: all right, so then the last bit of news we have comes from May 31st, and this was the day that DC announced that in September, all the character lines are being relaunched. Now, to kind of delve through some of the rumors that hit the net, they specifically said this is not a reboot, this is a relaunch. But certain characters are are going to be getting a larger focus. Other characters are going to be seen. Differences than what we've seen in the past. Um, it's very difficult to exactly know what everything that's going to be happening is going to be going on because they're going to be announcing these things over time. As of right now, they've announced Jeff Johns and Jim Lee will be drawing Justice League of America, which, for the time being, will be the flagship title of the DC Universe with all of the major characters appearing in that series. Um, some of the characters have different different costumes. Some of them are going to have completely different personalities. But we won't know a whole lot about the specifics about that, those kinds of things until we either hear some of the writers and artists doing interviews or we see the actual comics come out in September. My thought is the Bat Books, I don't think this is going to be affecting the Bat Books as much as going to be affecting other characters. I think this relaunch is specifically for characters like Wonder Woman, who has had a horrible focus, and the fact that the TV pilot that was just done for Wonder Woman did not get picked up for an actual series, I'm sure that this was in plans way before that series didn't get picked up, but I think the problem is that there's a lot of characters that DC feels that should have a bigger focus, um, they've done this in the past with, for instance, Jeff Johns did this with Green Lantern, he recently did it with Flash, and these characters have become bigger, bigger cornerstones of the DC Universe because of what's been going on. So I think what this ultimately is for is to bring some characters like Aquaman, like Wonder Woman, like um, Cyborg, for instance, because Cyborg is pictured in the, the picture with the Justice League, into a bigger spotlight. And give them more time to deserve. So, we do know that Brian Azzarello will be doing Wonder Woman, and we do know that Jeff Johns will be writing Aquaman. So, those are two pretty big writers attached to projects that Aquaman, for instance, nobody would have ever thought would have happened because he's had series in the past and they've failed. And a lot of people didn't think that the character was worthwhile, and then it wasn't until just recently with Jeff Johns telling stories through Blackest Night and Brightest Day that Aquaman has become a bigger focus. So that's my take.
0: My take is that this is this <laughs> unexpected for one and crazy for another. I mean, this announcement, they said they're going to try to bring in new readers by having new revamped origins and making the characters younger. And to me, that just sort of smacks as... A, I'm not going to get into too much right now because we're going to have to try, try to talk about this a little later, but to me, it smacks as just complete commercialism for the sake of an established universe, and I really don't like it. I'm, mean, I don't like that they are going to try to renumber titles such as Action Comics and Detective Comics and Batman and Superman because those titles have such a monumental run. They're all so close to issue 1,000 right now. You know, they're over halfway there. They're more than halfway there. They're more than three fourths there. So, and it's also the, the to the point that whenever DC feels that they need to revamp something the best way they did it was for Crisis on Infinite Earths, which was not only done out of, so they could straighten up the continuity, but it was done for DC's 50th anniversary. There were decades and decades and plenty of time for things to get out of hand. And it's been less than 25 years since Crisis on Infinite Earths, and now they're trying to do this again. I just don't see, the, I don't see a justifiable reason enough for this, and I'm really against the entire idea, personally.
1: I completely agree with Don, and I think it's funny how... Um Jeff John said things like Brightest Day and Blackest Night will still matter and he's the one still writing Green Lantern so it seems as if everyone's title gets screwed and then he gets to carry on doing what he's doing
2: well at this point we don't know how the titles are going to be screwed yeah. uh, by the time we have our special and the special post up on the site we'll obviously know everything we'll be talking about and our thoughts and ideas about what to expect from the Bat Books in the future
1: the other thing is if things are Changed, like origins changed and stuff. Then um, I think for the first few months, maybe even a year, it's going to be really difficult to find the voice of these new characters. And writers are going to be writing them with different, in the different ways and different interpretations. And it's going to seem odd at first, to from jumping to the Batman we know now to a, a new revamped one. And I fear that we're going to lose Grant Morrison's slightly happier Batman to go back to the really dark and grim one.
2: The annoying Batman of 2006. Alright, so with that, that is actually all the news we have as of right now. Like I said, be watching June 17th for the special where we talk about everything related to the new Bat-books that are going to be announced, the changes, and everything else that's going on in the DC Universe that could affect the Batman Universe, I'm sure that, that special will be a good chunk amount of time and uh, we're not uh, not at the constraints of keeping it with under a certain amount of time, so who knows? You could be downloading a five-hour podcast. I hope it doesn't get to that point. Knowing the way DC treats the bad books, I'm sure there's going to be plenty of them to talk about. So, with that being said, let's get into our comic book reviews. And the very first one we have is Gotham City Sirens number 23.
1: To the Batmobile. Let's go. Yeah. Atomic batteries to power. Yeah. You're ready
0: to move, up. Huh? Yeah. Gotham City Sirens is number 23, written by Peter Calloway and illustrated by Andres Gleonaldo. Now, this issue starts off with uh, Catwoman pretty much doing her thing hopping around rooftops, bidding up security guards, and stealing from people. This person has, happens to be the Penguin, so it's not so bad. But then she's accosted by uh, Dick Grayson, a.k.a. Batman, Man, who's asking for her assistance in regarding an Arkham breakout, which Harley Quinn in enacted when she tried and succeeded in breaking out the Joker. Dick tries to guilt her in it a little bit, and saying, oh, you're not loyal, of course you aren't going to help, and this really rattles Selina. But we cut to the Arkham breakout where... All chaos has broken loose. There's fire everywhere, people getting shot, beaten up, killed, and the Joker and Harley just love it. Several villains like Clayface and Mr. Zaz are being released, but the Joker, who is now in his classic purple and green and orange costume, are just uh, seeing who they can round up for some fun. Uh, Amidst the chaos is Dr. Jeremiah Arkham, who, uh, as we last saw him, was uh, the latest black mask put in Arkham asylum because he went crazy. He's going to Alice's room, his uh, assistant, and threatens to kill the guards by peeling off their skin with a can opener, but he, but he won't do that if they let down their guards, but he tells his henchmen to kill the guards anyway. After he gets his mask, we cut back to an abandoned warehouse somewhere in Gotham, where Selina is putting away her stash, and is pretty resolute in not helping Ivy to stop Harley until she decides to help him anyway. The Gotham City Police Department arrived outside Arkham Asylum. They talked to the uh, the security guard inside who let Harley uh, break out the Joker. And we cut to the Joker being confronted by a black mask who has these uh, sound amplifiers inserted in, in several inmates' heads. And he and the Joker begin to have a standoff. But just then, Poison Ivy breaks through the floor and says, Okay, Harley, you pulled this stunt way too many times. Are you going to choose to... Be on, be on my side or be on the Joker's side because you know what the Joker does we cut outside to Bruce Wayne Batman answering the bat signal and meeting Catwoman as they, the two agree to go into Arkham Asylum and stop the, the chaos and th- that will be continued in Gotham City Sirens number 24
2: alright Gotham City Sirens number 23 a couple things that I've got for notes on this one it is interesting that the Joker does in fact have the bullet hole that we saw during Batman R.I.P. And he has scars similar to what we've seen in The Dark Knight, the film. I gotta say, I wasn't expecting this issue to be as good as it was. I was expecting this to be actually very bad, and it turned out to be a very moderate comic per my taste. So that being said, I don't, I, I don't think uh, I was giving this book a lot, of, a lot of chance going into it. So I did read it twice just to try to get it. Um, I am interested to see where exactly the Catwoman Batman, especially since Batman's Bruce Wayne, how that plays out into Catwoman and Batman taking down Joker and Harley Quinn. That's going to be interesting. Kind of like a double date, I guess, in the Batman universe. Yeah. So um, I'm looking forward to the next issue. But at the same point, this wasn't a great issue, so I, I'm not going to encourage anybody to go buy it for the, <laughs> the, the remaining issues that are left before the relaunch. But at the same time, I am interested to see how this plays out. So I'm going to give this two and a half out of five betterings. This is actually one
0: of the better uh, Gotham City Sirens issues I've ever read, honestly. It kept my attention. It was interesting. It was exciting. And the was halfway decent. Although I must admit, I don't really care for how Nado draws Catwoman. I think he draws her actually very unattractive. And I, I don't, I'm not requesting cheesecake or anything, but just her face. I think she looks really, she looks very homely. And maybe I'm just used to really attractive looking uh, uh, females in comic books, but whatever. Yeah, I like this. I thought it was a pretty solid issue. I like how chaotic things are. And I like that we returned to Dr. Jeremiah Arkham in, in Arkham Asylum. I thought that was a nice bit of continuity. And I like the way it ended with uh, Bruce and Selina going to stop everything on the very last page. That was, I thought that was a pretty cool way to end it. And it made me excited to see how, the, how they resolve things in the next issue. I mean, this wasn't I agree with Dustin, this wasn't the greatest issue I've ever seen. But it was it was a good issue, I thought. So I'm going to give this a uh, 3 out of 5 better rings.
1: I actually really, really enjoyed this. Just like the rest of the arc. I've been um, yeah, I really enjoyed it and it wasn't padded like the previous one, so that made it even better. And um I thought with the I thought the bit where Dick let Selina steal the diamonds was a bit off. But other than that, I thought um every everyone was written really well, everything felt really good. And um I, I think it, even with like the relaunch, I think this feels like it has a weight to it. And that's because with the last two issues where Harley just broke in to kill the Joker and then didn't, if it ended like that, it, I, mean, I found those issues really fun, but it was really cliche and nothing unexpected happened, but because we're seeing the repercussions of that, I think it's um, it's really interesting and we're seeing what happens and it's it's not predictable anymore and it's taken the story to a whole new level, so um, I agree with Don, I really dislike the way Catwoman is drawn throughout the issue, but everyone else looks fine. I I really like the inclusion of the bullet hole in Joker's head because I I think that that should be in there permanently now. But no other artist seems to be doing it at the moment. But I'm actually going to give this four and a half out of five batterings because I really really enjoyed it.
2: Alright, so Gotham City Sirens, number 23, gets a total of 3.5 out of 5 batterings. Let's move into our next issue, which is Detective Comics, number 877. Written by Scott Snyder, art by Jacques. The issue starts off with Dick Grayson, Batman, stuck in the... I guess car masher and he makes use of a lot of the different gadgets to explode out of it, take out a number of the Roadrunner's runners, henchmen, and then proceeds to try to get the Roadrunner. We see the Roadrunner and find out why he's called that, and it's because he has Fake Legs, their titanium alloy, as Batman deduces, and he starts jumping away very quickly. Needless to say, Batman obviously takes him out, uh Tries to find out exactly why he's going after Sonia Branch. He proceeds to tell a very, very long story about how he has been in business for a while by putting drugs in high expensive vehicles, that, and then they were in, impounded by the the police. And then he would buy them at very cheap, and then resell them, make a lot of money. Um, Batman says, "Well, you need to get to the point. What do you? Why are you going after Sonia Branch?" He gets to the point by saying. That he tried to move to Metropolis and found out that that was a bad idea because Superman is everywhere and can stop crime very quickly. So the whole point of him saying all of this is that he came back to Gotham because in Gotham it's just a man who protects Gotham and in the end there's nothing he can do. So, what does Batman do? He uh, breaks the guy's legs. I guess it wasn't titanium alloy because I doubt Batman could break that. But, nonetheless, uh, he takes them to the police, has a discussion with Gordon about Sonya Branch, says she must be hiding something. Turns out she's on the roof with Gordon and Batman and says, yes, I I am hiding something. For a while, ever since I started my new business, a lot of... uh, Villains, per se, have been attempting to have me uh, wash their money uh, for them so that they would have the money. Um, what, What it turns out is Sonya Branch says this to Batman and tells him that there's a person named Tiger Shark. And this person, Tiger Shark, is probably the person who's been doing these things recently, specifically with the whale inside of the bank. So Batman jumps in the Bat-Boat, has a discussion with Red Robin. Red Robin, Tim Drake, was saying that Dick is probably into it. Dick never actually admitted that. Anyway, yeah. we end the issue with him breaking into a pipeline and finds out that he's right by the, uh, I guess, the base for Tiger Shark. And uh, who is Tiger Shark will continue in the next issue of Detective Comics. Alright, so Detective Comics number... 877. I really like the use of the gadgets that were used throughout the entire issue. Uh, One thing that I'm starting to notice specifically about Scott Snyder is he implements a lot of, like, the known things that Batman would do. He uses the gadgets. He uses his detective skills. He uses the things that we all know that he has, but sometimes a lot of writers seem to forget to use. Um... I'm not real sure if this issue was uh, co-sponsored by the new Looney Tunes cartoon, because there was a lot of Looney Tunes references. (laughs) Uh, Obviously, we have a character called the Roadrunner, but the fact that he actually does the meep-meep, and later on we have the comment from Batman saying, well, that's all, folks. That, to me, I mean, for Dick Grayson, it was fine, because that's something that Dick Grayson would say because it's Dick Grayson. Obviously, if it was Bruce Wayne, it would be completely out of character and not make any sense, and then we would really have to do some detecting of our own to find out whether or not Cartoon Network and Warner Brothers was uh, partially paying for this issue to be created. That being said, uh, another interesting incorporation was during the story that the Roadrunner was telling Batman, he says that one of the police that he actually worked with was Detective Flash which brings us back to Batman Year One, which brings us back to, obviously, also the appearance in uh, Batman Begins as well. But i got to say, Scott Snyder obviously still doesn't disappoint what he's doing. What's interesting to me is he's incorporating not only the things that other writers seem to forget to use, but in addition to that, he incorporates other things from the history of Batman 2. Uh, Jacques' art works perfectly with the story because it's edgy and especially when Dick is moving around very quickly, uh, we see the edginess and the free... I I don't even know what the right word to say this, but like the freedom that Dick experiences when he's moving very quickly or gliding through the air and things like that. Jacques' art does that, puts that out there very well. So I'm going to give... Detective Comics number eight seventy-seven, four and a half out of five batteries.
0: Another detective issue written by Scott Snyder, another keeper. This is another solid, solid issue that um, there's nothing particularly awesome about this. It's just really well told. You know, it can be it's simple but effective in its execution. I really like how he ended the last issue with Batman in, in a you know in a death trap, and um, Dick managed to get out of it. And it was because Grant Morrison does the same thing, but it was done differently. It was done a little more, a little more intensely. And I like the way I love how he has Dick Grayson's thought process. Scott Snyder really, really writes a really, really good Dick Grayson. I mean, I can't remember the last guy who wrote Dick Grayson as well as he has since maybe even Dixon. Um, that may be a little facetious to say, but I seriously, he he, he's great with uh with writing Dick. I like how they had uh the references to Detective Flas on the Gotham rooftop. I thought. Yeah, he appeared in Batman Begins, but again, I mean, he appeared in Batman Begins because he was from the comics, so it wasn't it wasn't like having Lau and Red Robin or anything. I thought it was a, I thought it was all fair game. I like this this Sonya Branch character. I actually like really like the way Jock draws her in comparison to Batman. I think Batman's a little grungy, but I thought she looked pretty pretty because they were saying oh she's so beautiful and everything. I thought she looked pretty realistic actually, and I actually thought that was really refreshing. And I love the way he wrote uh, uh, Tim messing on Dick in the like uh, through the radio with like you know ah you like her don't you and then like say I I can't I can't hear you Robin or Red Robin no it's impossible that you can't hear me we we have a solid connection you just like click them all I thought that was great just just for entertaining purposes I'm gonna give this four out of five batarangs because it was it was um, nothing special but it was it was really entertaining so four out of five.
1: I know Dick is really upset in this issue because of Sonia Branch and he thinks that she's hiding something. But I didn't think it was uh, Dick written very well and I thought in some parts it's that it felt more like Bruce. Especially with the bits in the um, trash compactor thing where he actually refers to himself as Batman. And he says like, think Batman or something along those lines. Which I thought was a very Bruce thing to do. And uh, he's a lot angrier in this issue and Things like the... Uh, I'd say that if I had a sense of humour, but I don't. But Dick Grayson does, so... And, and like, smashing the uh, titanium legs, which, like Dustin said, probably weren't titanium if you could just stamp them. And they, like, they could survive impact from jumping 50 foot in the air, but that Batman could just stamp them and then they shatter, which was a bit weird. But that, that, to me, is really weird, because even though... They weren't his sort of real legs, as in they weren't flesh and bone. He has still crippled him. That's like going up to a person in a wheelchair and taking off their wheels and running away. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Because, like, then uh, that's still really a wrong thing to do, even though he's a criminal. And But I, I think that might just come down to how angry he is. And if that's the case, then I can understand it. But, um... Yeah, I really thought the relationship between Dick and Tim was written really well and it's he did seem to become more um Dick Grayson Batman after he met with Gordon on the rooftop, so it it might have just been that opening scene. And I, I think the coolest part of the issue though was when Roadrunner was jumping away and Dick Grayson just goes, Oh, forget this and grapples him to the ground. I thought that was really cool. And uh yeah, the art works really well with it, so I'm gonna give this four out of five batterings. Alright,
2: so that is going to give Detective Comics number 877 4 out of 5. batterings. let's move into our next issue, Batman Beyond number 6. You're obviously new at this, so I'm willing to go easy on you. Batman Beyond number 6,
0: written by Adam Beechin, illustrated by Ryan Benjamin. We start off where the last issue left us with an explosion, or, or at least the aftermath of an explosion. Um, in one of the, uh, Wayne Powers buildings used for the storage of vehicles and technology, there's a humongous fire, and firefighters are rushing to the scene, hoping to contain the fire and get everyone out. Batman and Derek Powers are inside. Derek Powers is basically saying, This is insane. Why do I want to kill me? Batman's like, Well, you know, you're Derek Powers' son. He's very powerful. You're very wealthy. Do the math. So as the flame starts getting hotter and hotter and larger and larger, we're wondering how they're going to escape when huzzah! they are saved by Batman and Derek Powers riding in the Batpod. Ha <laughs> So they drive off to the... Um, they basically escape the fire, and we don't see exactly what happens, but basically Batman puts uh, Derek Powers back into holding. We cut to Blight and his assistant uh, overseeing some carnage, and Blight does some exposition by saying in his last appearance in the uh, Batman Beyond Season 1 finale, he was... Trapped at the bottom of the uh, ocean liner with the entire boat on top of him, but his condition left him without the need to breathe, so he survived and he once he finally managed to, to escape the water, he got to one of his old doctors and was given a containment suit because his his condition is getting more and more uh more and more out of control, so he vows to destroy both Bruce Wayne and Batman so Batman is uh riding back to the bat cave uh, under Wayne Manor and he and Bruce are wondering what they're going to do after all this. Bruce says that he's going to make a press conference and have Wayne uh, Wayne Powers taken off the shareholders market. Um, Dick... Or not, I'm sorry, not Dick. Terry. Terry starts to freak out about this and Bruce says, well, this is exactly what I want my enemies to think. So he says, ah, okay, okay. Very way, Mr. Wayne. So the next day at school, Terry is telling Max that Dana won't return any of his calls and is completely ignoring him. Dana... Max informs Terry that her brother recently came back from prison and Terry is like the rest of us, we didn't even know that Dana had a brother and while he's trying to ask more questions about that, Max is actually being very secretive with her uh, uh, computer adventures over there Dana is trying to get to know her brother better after him coming home after such a long time and we see him going out to the grocery store, but he runs to some uh, jokers in an alley and he has a really, really evil smirk on his face but we don't see what happens to them at the Gotham Stock Exchange, Batman is doing some spy work, and Bruce is telling him, you really need to go invisible. And he's like, no, I don't want, I don't want to waste any power. It's just too early for that. Well, he should have because Blight gets the drop on him, and before he can do anything, he grabs his face with his radioactive hands. To be continued.
2: All right, Batman Beyond, number six. The first thing I noticed in this book, obviously, because it was in the first page, was the reference to Steve Englehart, with, uh, you know, the address at Englehart Street or whatever. that That's a nice nod, and I like to see things like that. The last time I remember seeing that was Dustin Wen putting in uh Brayfogle Street in an issue of Streets of Gotham. Uh, that must have been like two years ago or something like that. But I, I like seeing things like that. Clearly, Adam Beechin likes the movies and likes to reference them. Clearly, because we've seen now we've seen The Bad Pod and... I think the use of the bad pod, the way he did it, made sense. It was in some random storage facility that there's a bunch of test stuff that Wayne Wayne Enterprises has, and it just so happens that it was there because Bruce doesn't use it anymore. And I love the the comment that Bruce made about how oh he didn't even know he still had that anymore. That it, it worked. It didn't. It didn't seem cheesy that they were just trying to get something from the movie in there. The other thing that I noticed was, I guess Adam Beachen noticed what was going on in backroll and wanted to tar- start doing something with waffles to build continuity, because he he brought up waffles.
0: Yeah, I saw that. <laughs>
2: uh, that. I saw that. I was like, wait, wait a second. What what's going on here? But needless to say, Batman Beyond. This continues to be an issue or a series that I'm enjoying. I like what's going on with Blight because it brings probably. Terry McGinnis' biggest enemy of the cartoon series into a pretty big spotlight as what's going to be happening in the near future. The art, for some reason, in this issue seems much different, despite the fact that it is Ryan Benjamin. I don't know why that is. It just seems like the character faces aren't as gritty. Everything in general isn't as gritty. It seems like either he had more time for this issue to get it done... So, there's a little bit more time. This to me seems like a little bit more clean cut than what we've seen in the past. And I don't know if he, how exactly, what is his art style is, if he does it digitally on the computer or if he freehands it, I'm not real sure. But some things are kind of odd because, for instance, one of the very first few pages where uh, Batman Beyond is grabbing Paxton Powers. You see the bat symbol on Batman's chest, and the way it, it looks, it just looks like it was digitally added. It doesn't actually look like he drew that. Not because it's such a clean image, but because of the positioning of it on his chest. It just seems like it was just there. So, I like this Ryan Benjamin art a little bit better than we've seen in the past. I'm sure other people... Won't necessarily agree, but I like the more cleaner style, especially for a book that's based off of a, an animated series originally. Um, so with this book, I'm going to give it three and a half out of five batterings.
0: Yeah, I, 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 this is a good issue. Um, <laughs> the Batpot thing, I think th- it was one of the least annoying references to the movies, and I think that if this was in an era where references to The Dark Knight were sparse, it would be cool. Because, you know, you know, it's just a reference. They're not saying, oh, the back part. I used that when I was in the movie The Dark Knight. No, no, it's just, just, you know, oh, I didn't know I had it. That was pretty cool. And it was unexpected. I just wish that if this weren't in the same era as as having a title called The Dark Knight, which has several references to the movie The Dark Knight, and, you know, having Mr. Lau in another title appear, it would, it would, it would have been a lot more fun. But we can't blame Adam Beach for that, necessarily. So that was a pretty cool moment. I thought the issue ran pretty smoothly. It was pretty straightforward. Actually, very linear, but it was still entertaining to watch. Um, I'm glad that we get sort of got away from the whole decoration grayson batman thing, even though I think that needs to be resolved. I just like the fact that it was a little more of a straightforward story. This actually could have been an episode of Batman Beyond. Um, if Batman Beyond was a little more of a serial storytelling. I thought the art, while not bad, was really, really different than what I usually see from Ryan Benjamin. And maybe it's the colorist, maybe it's the anchor, but it did seem a little more frenzied, a little more erratic a bit. But uh, I thought this was a good issue, so I'm going to give this 4 out of 5 better ranks.
1: First of all, the cover was awesome by Justin Wayne. <laughs> I was about to say that. And, um, yeah, I agree with Don. I thought Ryan Benjamin's art seemed a bit rushed. And uh, it wasn't as... Because it's always been quite erratic and, and gritty, but um, this seemed, sometimes the characters just looked off and facial expressions were a bit too distorted and things like that. So I, I thought it seemed like it was done in a hurry. And I think it must have been a different colorist or something similar because it was, it was more vibrant, which took away from that grittiness, which I, I don't like as much. I, I never got to see the uh, Batman Beyond TV show, so I don't know anything about Blight or any of the Batman Beyond universe, really. But... Um, the exposition helped me a bit to understand some of it and catch up, which uh, was good. And he seems, definitely seems like an interesting villain. And um, I'm glad that this book is finally starting to sort of tell stories rather than just 20 pages of a fight. So I'm going to give this three out of five batterings.
2: All right, so that is going to give Batman Beyond number six. Three and a half out of five betterings. Let's move into our last issue, Flashpoint, Batman, Night of Vengeance, number
1: one. Okay, Flashpoint, Batman, Night of Vengeance, issue one, written by Brian Azzarello, with art by Eduardo Risa. The issue opens up with Thomas Wayne having a psychological exam in which, he, in which we find out that he is a very angry man, but not psychotic. Thomas Wayne meets Oswald Coplebot on his way out, and we discover that Wayne opened the casino to bring crime to him, implying that Oswald knows his secret identity. Outside of the casino, Thomas Thomas meets Gordon, with whom he appears to share a close relationship, and the two get into a limo and go to see Harvey Dent, who, instead of being Two-Face, is a judge, but his twin children have been stolen by the Joker. Dent blames the two for the incident but Thomas vows to return his children and Gordon and Thomas then go to the Batcave showing that Gordon knows Thomas is Batman. As they go Gordon is telling Batman rumors of the devil that grabs the victims and pulls them down to hell. We then jump to Batman exploring the sewers where he finds a locked room containing drug addicts but suddenly Killer Croc attacks. Croc gets the upper hand early on and holds Thomas head underwater. And we then see a flashback of the night that changed everything, where Thomas actually lunges at Joe Chill, but in panic Joe Chill fires in retaliation and kills both Bruce and Martha. Batman then gouges Croc's eyes to get out from under his from underwater and proceeds to stab Croc with, through the head with his own machete. The issue ends with the two Dent children being taunted by Heath Ledger, I mean the Joker.
2: All right, so Flashpoint, Batman Night of Vengeance, number one. Obviously, this isn't following what's going on in the normal Batman universe. That's very clear because this is what's going on with Flashpoint. And if you haven't read Flashpoint or kept up with Flash, there are reviews on the website of not only issue one of Flashpoint and issue two of Flashpoint, but also Flash number 12, which is The Road to Flashpoint, so you can get caught up, and those were done, in fact, by Joe and a couple of other staff members from the Batman Universe.net. So you can check those out if you want to get an idea of what else is going on with this. With this, some of the things I found interesting with this issue was obviously the different different characters in this universe have different roles. So it is interesting to see Oswald Cobblepot being kind of the uh, the lackey for Lane. It kind of reminds me of Back to the Future. Where, you know, he goes back to the future and there's a completely different way of how everything is. So instead of his dad being the lackey, or we see somebody else being the lackey. In this instance, we see Oswald Cobblepot, instead of being the uh, kingpin of crime that he is, we see him being the person who manages the finances in the casinos for Thomas Wayne. That's amusing. The um mr that uh, we constantly see throughout the book. I'm sorry, but whenever I see that, I know it's not the same, and I'm sure someone will email me and tell me it's not the same. But it just reminds me of the constant sound that Rorschach makes in Watchmen. <laughs> that's different. That's hum, and I get that, and it's obviously spelled different too. That's just what it reminds me of because he does it so often. Whenever he's just he's not a he's not he's he's upset about something. It is also funny, obviously, Gordon knows about Thomas Wayne being Batman. I'm curious to know if everyone actually knows that Thomas Wayne is Batman. I I imagine that wouldn't work very well for the promotion of his casinos since the idea is that they're trying to get the criminals into the casinos to lose their money. But at the same time, the fact that Gordon and Wayne go straight into what appears to be Another Batcave, or I guess you would call it the Bat Bunker, because it had the T-Rex in it. And as we saw in Flashpoint number one, the Batcave had nothing in it below Main Wayne Manor. So he obviously has multiple bat caves as the normal Batman does as well. The last thing I've got is the Joker in the very back. I don't know if this was intentional or if this was an artist's choice, but as Joe said in his review Heath Ledger Joker at the very end. Yeah. Um I don't I don't I find it okay in some senses to incorporate things from the, from the movies into the comics. Like Bat the Batpod for instance in Batman Beyond. That worked. But this seems a little odd and a little hokey in my opinion because it just I get that this is a different universe. so Obviously the Joker can look different and look like Heath Ledger why wouldn't you take this opportunity to make the Joker look like something completely different? Why base it off of Heath Ledger? That, to me, doesn't make a lot of sense. And personally, I think I have a problem with that because it's just... We seriously can't get any other variations of the Joker other than the current one that we have... With him with the bullet hole and the scars on his face. And now we now the Heath Ledger. We seriously can't do anything else... I'm sorry, but I would imagine that there's plenty of people out there who have a a great imagination to come up with different ways to interpret the Joker, especially in these different universe-type stories. So I think that was kind of a cop-out, in my opinion, and I thought he could have done a lot better job of making the Joker this new and twisted character instead of, you know, based off Heath Ledger. So that's kind of a downfall for me. I thought the issue was great. Don't get me wrong, I thought the issue was great. It's just that Joker thing at the very end, I get that it was supposed to be the cliffhanger and leading up to it, but seeing the Joker looking exactly like Heath Ledger just completely threw it off for me. I'm grading the entire issue as a whole, so with that I'm going to give the issue 3.5 out of 5 batterings.
0: This issue really surprised the heck out of me. Um, I'm not really one for like alternate universe, out of continuity, like, crazy things as like this. But I thought this was, this was, like, one of the best uh, uses of taking an opportunity and just running with it. This issue gets a 5 out of 5 out of me. And I should say that, like, I wasn't a fan of uh, Azarello and Reese's Broken City run. I thought it was awful. I just thought it was not nearly as, as good as Hush. Because Hush came right before it. And I was on, a, on that Hush high so much. So I wasn't really feeling it. But when I heard that they were going on this book, I was like, oh, okay, whatever. It's going to be, like, 100 bullets. It's going to be over the top. It's going to be, like, like ugly and unpleasant. I'm not going to like it. But I thought this was great. I really did. I, I love how Thomas Wayne, he's sort of written to be, like, like that really angry version of Batman. But because it's a different character, you can sort of play it off differently. And because he's a different person, he's a completely different Batman. I mean, one one begs the question why he chose to, to look like a bat. But maybe he always knew that there was a bat cave under his, under his house. But never mind. I just thought that, like, his really intense look on his face and the fact that Gordon knew about his identity... And the whole scene where he's in the sewer, there's this one shot where, we, where he finds the people. And then, in the bottom panel, Killer Croc's right behind him, and Batman looks so cool. He looks amazing, and I love the fight sequence. That was that was completely devoid of dialogue or grunts or groans. It was it, it was he was a really silent Batman. He had these glowing red eyes, and then it was interspersed with like. The murder of uh, Martha and Bruce Wayne. I thought this issue was terrific. I mean, I mean, this, it's not like I'm, this is this is something I want to see in every Batman story or anything. But I just saw as a one shot, as an alternate universe tale, as just you know a one and done. I thought it was really, really good. So I'm gonna give it a five
1: out of five. Overall, I I really like the issue. The art for me wasn't amazing, but it did the job, so it was, it was just fine for me. I, I do think it's fun seeing a really ruthless Batman, and like Don said, because it's not. You know it's not the real Batman. You can really just sort of embrace it as a new character and just enjoy it for being that really ruthless and violent. And it, it does remind me a bit of Dark Knight Returns, especially with him being an older Batman, which is another thing I quite like how Thomas Wayne is, you know, he's still old, he's aged as he would. Yeah, I did think it was weird how it seemed almost everyone knew that he was Batman, like Oswald and Gordon and even Dent seemed to know as well. The book did seem quite short to me. Although I think that may have just been because of the adverts in the middle of it. And I don't know about anyone else, but every time I got to that stupid 12-page long advert for a superhero comic or whatever it was, exhibit Mm -hmm. popped into my head, and I instantly thought of, Yo, dog, I heard you like comics! So I put a comic (laughs) (laughs) book.
0: Pit my comic book.
1: But uh, that, that just popped into my head every time, but I think that kind of may have shortened the issue, or it may have just because I was enjoying it, and it, it went through quite a lot. I agree, I'm not happy to see Heath Ledger interpretation of the Joker, just because like, you know, it's it's not that new, and it, it's... I and mean, I'd rather see a classical Joker or something really extreme. I'm looking forward to the next issue, but equally, I'm not counting down the days, so I'm just going to give this 3.5 out of 5 Batarangs.
2: And then over on the website, Melinda reviewed the book, and she gave it four out of five batterings. So that is going to give Flashpoint, Batman: Night of Vengeance, number one, four out of five batterings. So that is it for our comic book reviews. Let's throw it over to Nick with Bat Books for Beginners. <laughs>
3: Hello and welcome back to another edition of Bat Books for Beginners. My name is Nick and today I'm looking at a book called The Last Bat. This is a four-part story arc that started in the Shadow of the Bat comic book series in 1992. And DC Comics later compiled the four issues into a trade paperback in 1996. The comic was written by Alan Grant, and it's drawn by Norm Brayfogle, who are a very well-known double-team who were worked on Batman during the 80s and 90s. They worked on series like Shadow of the Bat, the Detective Series, and the Anakin Series. And Norm Brayfogle, as an extra side note, uh, has been interviewed by the Batman Universe. You can find that interview on the website in under our interviews section if you're interested in hearing a little bit more from Mr. Brayfogel. Anyway, so let's dive into the last Arkham. With my inheritance I can begin working to cure the world's ailments. The name Amadeus Arkham will become legendary. The story begins with the destruction of the old Arkham Asylum at the hands of its new administrator, Jeremiah Arkham, who inherited it from his deceased uncle, Amadeus Arkham. The asylum is revamped and fitted with numerous new security measures. When Batman stumbles upon a series of murders resembling the serial killer Zaz's M.O., Batman begins to investigate only to find Zaz has been imprisoned in Arkham Asylum during the course of the murders. Determined to prove Zaz guilty, Batman and Commissioner Gordon stage Batman's insanity in order to get him committed to Arkham and further investigate. However, Jeremiah Arkham is unaware of this plot and begins to break down Batman mentally and physically. Learning of Batman's incarceration through private talk with Jeremiah, Zaz guesses Batman's insanity is obviously a ploy and begins to plant seeds of hatred towards Batman in Jeremiah's mind. This explodes when Jeremiah forces Batman to fight Amygdala and other inmates from the asylum, including the Joker, Mad Hatter, Egghead. Whilst this continues, Zaz escapes through the tunnels which he had purchased and kills the Builder and another inmate in order to cover his tracks. Batman defeats all the inmates and begins to wonder about Jeremiah Arkham's sanity, as Amadeus was in fact the asylum's first inmate. Batman is put back into holding, but is freed by Nightwing, who had come to investigate. The pair split up, and Nightwing encounters Zaz in the tunnels below the building. Zaz collapses the tunnel in on Nightwing, but is stopped by Batman, who have made the agonizing journey through a microwave sensor to stop him. The pair fight in the sewer, and Commissioner Gordon arrives in time to arrest Zaz.
1: Cassidy. Everything is meaningless. Don't you think that's a very negative outlook on life, Victor? You've no doubt read my file.
3: Yes. Yes, I have. It says you come from a wealthy family,
2: that your parents died, and how you lost all the money gambling. And none
1: of it matters.
3: Why do you keep saying that, Victor? Because the only thing that does matter
1: is the mark. Have you seen my work, Miss Cassidy? If you're referring to the marks on your... Of course I'm my telling marks. And I have a space for yours. Do you want to see where?
3: Well, I thought this story was, um... really interesting from the start. I thought it was great to see a few random and new inmates in the asylum. Not the regulars that we're used to, but some of the, um... Some of them were completely original and some of them were very obscure characters. I thought it was great to see Arkham in all of its detail. One of the big questions throughout the book was, is Jeremiah Arkham insane? I thought he was a great character um, who feels he's doing a good job by delivering tough punishment. Is this the punishment that perhaps uh, Batman is unable to deliver? He's not brave enough to or, or, or simply thinks this punishment's wrong i thought it was interesting to see the contrasts in styles here the idea of having batman in the asylum as a, pa- a patient uh, was a brilliant idea it worked very very well and um jeremiah arkham playing his mind games to find out who he is i thought um it was batman at its cerebral best did you know that this book actually launched three new characters into the batman universe mr zazz making his debut jeremiah arkham as well and amygdala who all feature later on in other books i thought the art looked uh, great throughout um, really good stuff from bray fogel who has a style that just works for me it's just excellent and it's you know it's it's, a, it's really quality art from bray fogel now, Mr. Zaz, I thought as a character, as a villain, is really dark. He's surely one of the darkest in tone that I've ever seen as a as a Batman villain. And I think that the reason he's so intense is because his problem is kind of in the realms of possibility. Unlike the Joker, the Penguin, who the comic book characters—that's the core of what they are. Mr. Zaz is a, is quite extreme, but he's he just feels more realistic and that's probably one of the most terrifying things about him he's calm, he's calculating, he's vicious and he is relentless and he's a fascinating villain and I can't wait to read some more stuff with him in it I thought the chemistry between Nightwing and Robin was very good Um, Nightwing tells Tim that Bruce chose well sort of further validating Tim who we know has been a little bit low on confidence since becoming Robin I thought it was great having all the villains involved in this story um they all attack batman and batman manages to beat all of them as jeremiah arkham says he's a trained athlete and the rest are just insane and it does prove that having a fight with batman one-on-one really doesn't help these villains it's all about tormenting batman that's where they win not through physical confrontation there are a lot of nasty deaths in this book i thought it was very graphic um and you know combining zaz and the way he killed people it was really quite dark and and intense for this sort of story but it worked but um this is not a book for young for young kids i thought it was a great moment when we see dr arkham beginning to delve into madness and batman delivering a stern warning to him i thought some good stuff in there so all in all it was a really good story with some compelling new characters and it puts batman through some really tough times had a great mystery and it concluded very well so as you can tell i really enjoyed it and we'll be giving it five out of five batarangs
1: he's gone everyone spread out don't let him get away who says i'm leaving Uh, the only way out is through me.
3: next time a new gang are in town known only as the misfits will batman have his work cut out for him or do they need a better name for their team uh, find out next time this story covers shadow of the bat issues seven eight and nine So I will see you then. I've been Nick. Now it's back to Dustin and the guys. See ya.
2: so that was Bat Books for Beginners uh, before we get into Bat Book delays we're going to have a little bit of a discussion about Flashpoint and Joe's going to kind of take the rein on this specifically because Joe's leading up the Flashpoint coverage on the website so he's kind of in the know as a little bit more so than myself or Don, I have read Flashpoint 1 and 2 and I've re- obviously read the Flashpoint miniseries for Batman as well but uh Joe's going to kind of give us an idea of what's going on with Batman inside of Flashpoint.
1: Well, um, I suppose basically it all started in Flash issue 9, Flashpoint, where um, from that, it was only four issue arc, but uh, from that we basically learned that Professor Zoom comes back with a reverse Flash, and uh, he can change time, he can go through time, and he can change his appearance as well. So that obviously makes things difficult for um, Barry Allen and then as you know from Flash, one issue one he wakes up in an alternate world which isn't an alternate world, it's, it is real time it's just that it's been altered and it seems it is the only timeline from what we learned from the uh, Green Lantern issue one but uh, basically it's lots of different interpretations of characters for instance Thomas Wayne is Batman and Bruce and Martha were killed by Joe Chill. So there are lots of different things. We still don't know what's happening, but so far in the Flashpoint universe, Barry Allen knows that he's in a different timeline and he's trying to find out how to get back. And the first thing he needs to do is get back his powers, which he doesn't have. So at the end of Flashpoint issue two, he has tried to recreate the experiment which... ...turned him into the Flash in the first place and it went wrong and the issue ends with him as a burnt carcass on the floor. But um, yeah, Batman definitely seems to be a large part of the miniseries so far and interestingly he's very happy to help barry Ann get back to the correct timeline... ...especially after Barry said that Bruce survives instead of him, which I thought could have been very awkward if Thomas realised that it means he's going to die... He just could have stopped Barry at all costs to make sure he lives. But it's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out and what happens with Barry after he's been set on fire at the end of the last issue.
2: Yeah, Flashpoint... I mean, they originally promoted this as a Flash story and then as time progressed they turned it into Flash. Flashpoint is actually a team-up story of Batman and Flash. Now, clearly, it's not the Batman we all know and read about every month. But my take on this is this is interesting. And what makes this interesting is that for two reasons. Number one, when when we knew that Flashpoint was announced, it was just another event that DC was doing. But now, with the announcement that they're relaunching all these books in September... Clearly, whatever's happening in Flashpoint will have some effects on the DC Universe, and that's what will, will ultimately, story-wise, be the reason for the changes coming in September. That's, that's very clear at this point, specifically because Flashpoint, the last issue of Flashpoint is being released the last uh, Wednesday of August, the same day as the first issue of the Justice League of America book, which is the first book of this new book. So, Obviously, the two have to coincide somehow. What's interesting to me is when Flashpoint One came out, and we all found out that Thomas Wayne was was uh, Batman. Did we hear anybody crying foul? And I said this kind of in a editorial online, but we didn't hear anybody saying, "Oh, this is so horrible! Bruce Wayne should be Batman." And that's odd to me because when we heard when we when Dick Grayson was announced to be the new Batman, we saw some sites online. Making comments about, well, my Batman is Bruce Wayne, and that's all it will ever be. But the reality is, when we heard about Flashpoint, we didn't, and we we knew that Thomas Wayne was going to be. When we find out Thomas Wayne was Batman, nobody did that because we knew this was taking place in alternate universe. So to me, I have to wonder why is it that when we know things are taking place in alternate universe, why we get so We're we're so okay with it. But when somebody decides to do something major like change something, we're not okay with it. Instead of just seeing how it plays out. That's my question. Well, I would respond to that
0: by saying that because when people are given... Nobody likes change, essentially. I think change is a natural human thing that they just kind of respond negatively to. Like, Like, initially... So when I think that people are, are shown change, because comic books do change a lot, and they're saying, well, this is an alternate universe, they, they're they fine with it. I mean, if Thomas Wayne really was brought back to life and made the Batman, I think way more, way more than like Batman Reborn where Dick was made Batman. People say, well, they've done that before. People will be mad. I would be mad. I think I think everybody here would be mad. Just Just initially. I think the thing is that because they want to have this continuing... It's one thing if you have it change like okay now Dick Grayson who was Nightwing is going to be Batman. It's another thing to say, okay, now Dick Grayson who uh is now Nightwing, like goes back goes out to be Robin, you know? It's one thing if you go backwards, it's nothing if you go forward. So it depends on the change. And I think that that's typically what people are responding to because not only is the Thomas Wayne Batman thing Like, sort of, it's sort of a retcon, but it's not really because it actually doesn't alter continuity that much. Because we know it is, we know, and the and the narrative knows that it's a wrong continuity. In Flashpoint number two, Barry Allen is telling uh, Thomas Wayne Batman how, you know, he's all about his son Bruce, you know, how he's one of his best friends, and you know, this is a wrong continuity. And Thomas Wayne is just sort of like at first he's very reticent of the idea, but then he's like dumbstruck because the very concept of that reality being different from his own is mind boggling. So. It's sort of like the same effect with us fans is that if something changes history, you know, like the retcons basically, then it's it's crazy because we like to have our universes follow just enough to where it's as close to reality as possible where this could possibly happen even if people are flying or have super strength. So when such changes like that happen is why I think that it messes with everybody's minds because it's like changing real life. It's, it's too – a lot of people hold these characters too near and dear to their hearts that – any crazy, crazy radical change affects them as though it were real. I mean, it's not the same for everybody, but I think it's the same for a lot of people.
1: And, equally, those people who are so passionate about things like, you mentioned Bruce Wayne is my only Batman, those are the sort of people who might not necessarily read Flashpoint because of things like that, and especially as it being an event and covering so many books, and also knowing that it's going to be an alternative universe, then People might not be reading it because of that, and now that this is leading into such a big change, I think a lot of people are changing their minds and are going to be picking them up. But um, I, I do think that being an alternative universe plays into it a lot, and because it, also because it's a miniseries, people expect it perhaps not to matter or just to go back to normal because that's what you'd expect from a happy ending. Everything goes back to being normal.
0: You would hope. I mean, but a lot of times, you know. After these, I think especially lately, a lot of these uh, big uh, historical time changes, something wasn't always a happy ending. Like in Blackest Night, not everybody who died came back to life. Uh, in Infinite Crisis, not every, people died there. So I personally am still on the edge of my seat for this one just to see what could happen from this time fallout. Maybe Barry Allen will, will go back to being dead. Ooh. Or maybe maybe he won't come back to life after this.
2: Yeah, I mean, Flashpoint, as I said, is going to have a big effect on the DC Universe and if you're not checking it out, at least check out the Batman one because you don't necessarily have to follow along with the actual Flashpoint series to know what's going on in the mini series. It's obviously telling a different, separate story that doesn't have to play into what's going on in the Flashpoint series. It may play out in the long run, but clearly just by the first issue, we can tell it's telling its own tale inside that book. I think it would be cool if down the line, and I'm sure this is probably going to happen, if all these characters that they're showing off in the Flashpoint universe, when they collect them into a trade paperback, if someone actually had the character designs for all these new concepts for these characters that have come out, I think that would be really cool. Because we remember from the interview that we had that we read about in the last podcast about how the idea, the concept for Batman was done by Andy Kubert. But the characters that weren't appearing in Flashpoint, but were appearing in the miniseries for Batman, they were being done by Eduardo Riso. So he had his opportunity to create these different concepts for the characters. Obviously, because it's only three issues, and we're probably not going to see a lot of these characters outside the Batman Batman series, it would be interesting to just see all of these different characters and how they were redesigned a little bit more than just on the page in the book. Because they would have to... I would imagine they went to the detail of actually creating them.
1: Yeah, well, I remember was, that. There was in the back of Flashpoint issue 2, a short um, sketchbook. Just of, I think, um, Aquaman, Wonder Woman, Flash, and Batman done by Andy Huber.
2: So, either way, Flashpoint's a big thing. Keep a Keep a look on it. It's going to mean something... And for once, an event will actually have an effect. So with that being said, that's going to end up that discussion. But let's get into Batbook delays and back to
1: Joe. Okay, with uh, the only real delays to Batman Incorporated and a lot of the, it's kind of had a domino effect. So Batman Incorporated issue 7 has been pushed back by two weeks from the 15th of June to the 29th which then replaces Issue 8, which has been pushed back by three weeks to the 20th of June, which replaces Issue 9, which has then been pushed that back by three weeks until the 10th of August, which in turn has pushed Issue 10 back by one week from the 17th of August to the 24th. And then that's going to be it for Batman Incorporated. <laughs> all
2: right, so that's all of the Delays. And that's pretty much everything for this episode. So, as always, you can head over to the website, check out everything new on the website. It's live, and it's there for all all its glory. We're always looking for new people to write comic reviews for a number of comics being released. Any of the books that you heard today that uh, weren't reviewed on the website, we're looking for people to review, as well as a number of other ones. So shoot us an email at podcast at podcast.thabatmanuniverse.net if you're interested in writing any reviews or writing anything related to Batman for the website in general. That's always appreciated, and let us know. Podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net Obviously, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube for all kinds of information. The iTunes feed's fixed, as I mentioned earlier, so you can check those out. Leave a review. It'd be great to get a review up there, some newer reviews, since the feed is updated and we have all of the older episodes back up there as well. In the coming weeks, also check out the website if, if you're a big fan of Bat Books for Beginners. Uh, the new feed currently has the first episode posted right now. Uh, over the next couple weeks, we will have a number of more episodes from the very beginning leading up to uh, you know the most current episodes. But for now, we're going to take it gradually, probably about five episodes a week. So look for that in the coming weeks as well. Um, Additionally, we have a number of new feeds, uh, the Batman Universe interviews, the Batman Universe commentaries, the Batman Universe villain wall, and a number of other ones, so you can check that out. Uh, We are posting a new blooper show very shortly as well, so check that out. And we have a ton of other things that are currently in production, per se. So that's everything. Take a look on the site f- on June 17th for the episode related to everything having to do with this new Batman universe, DC universe relaunch. Um, that's going to be under the specials feed, so be sure you're checking that out. And while you're downloading that, why don't you just subscribe? That way, anytime we get a new episode, you'll see it there. So that's everything for this episode. This is Dustin. This is Donovan. This is Joe. You've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys next time. Take care, everybody. Au revoir. Le Jardin... Uh, Le Jard... <laughs> say, say it again
1: for me. Le Jardin Noir.
2: <laughs> this is going to be a while.
1: <laughs> say it one more time. Let's do it how like, most people do it. Le Jardin Noir.
2: Le Jardin Noir. Le Jardin Noir. Close to the Oui, oui. <laughs> <laughs> All
1: right. And... Thomas Wayne meets Oswald Koppel. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry.
3: Okay.